Welcome to the People's Church Sermoncast. You can join us for our live worship services on Sundays at 10 a.m. People's Church is located at the corner of Mill Plain and Andreessen in Vancouver, Washington. Please visit our website at peoplesvancouver.church to learn more about our community and how you can get involved. And now for this week's sermon. I'm going to take till 1130 and go into Holy Spirit in action today. And I'll do my best to not bore you, but believe that the Lord will impart life upon the word. The preacher, a small church in the South was just going on and on. And finally one guy in the back, he just couldn't take it. He got up and walked out, came back a few minutes later and the preacher was still going on and on. And to everybody's complete astonishment, he took a brick and threw it towards the front of the preacher. An old guy sitting in the front said, throw another one. I can still hear him. I'll try to keep us out of that territory today in Jesus' name. So last week was Pentecost Sunday, of course. We, we kind of started into some thoughts there. I want you to go over to Acts chapter 2, the beginning of the New Testament church. And I guess where we want to start today is it wasn't so much a time as it was a person. In Acts 2.14, I'm just going to start reading there. I won't read the whole to the end of the chapter, but in chapter two, said the day of Pentecost is fully come. They were in one place, one accord. All of a sudden there was a sound that filled the house. Like it, they described it as a mighty wind, appeared cloven or divided tongues of fire and sat upon each one of them. Verse three, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The next few verses from five to 13, tells the rest, the supernatural impact of that event, what it had on those directly surrounding that room. The ones in the room were being imparted, filled, endued with power. Miraculous things were beginning to take place. And, and to the world around them, they, they didn't understand it. As a matter of fact, it, it looked odd to them. They thought, they thought that maybe all those people in that room that had been up there for all that time this last week, not really knowing what's going on and all of that, they, they said that they must be drunk. And Peter later said, they're not drunk as you think. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. So your whole projection of reasoning is off. And he started ministering and preaching to them. The beginning of the New Testament church wasn't a time, but it was a person, but it was a person. Time has changed. God doesn't. Malachi 3, 6 for, says, for I am the Lord, I do not change. Yeah, there are seasons, there are appointed times, there's Kairos time, there's all of these things about time. But if you just sit around looking for the clock, waiting for it to come to a particular moment in time that God's going to come and show up and do something, yeah, we need to be looking for the second return of Christ. But whenever Jesus left the first time, remember they were all standing and they were looking in heaven. And the account says that there at that moment, there were two men in white, there were two angelic beings there. And the response to them was, men of Jerusalem, why are you standing here looking in the heavens? The same way that he left, he was taken up in a cloud. They saw the cloud go. They saw Jesus go. I mean, that was an incredible, miraculous event. But they were just standing there, frozen at that moment in time. And the angel said, the same way you saw him leave, he's going to come again. The angels didn't say, just stand here and keep looking till you see him come again. No, it wasn't about waiting and putting in your time till the time came when he came again. 
No, it's, it's about being busy. And that time for a second coming will come, but it's not the time we're to be impacted with. It's the relationship that Jesus said was going to take place whenever the Holy Spirit. Our God is known in the spirit realm as the God who loves humans. In the realm of the supernatural where angels and demons, all that, our God, our Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, they're known to the enemies, to the powers of darkness. He's the God that loves humans. That means he loves you. He, he made you and me, us. He made us in his image. And Peter starts dealing with this whole issue of, of God coming and, and, and taking a position to bless, empower, and release the authority of heaven into what we now call the New Testament church. But it was always about God's relating in a more intimate way with individuals. So Acts 2.15, I'm going to start at 14. But Peter's standing up. So this is what happened. Others mocking and said, verse 13, they're full of new wine or they're, they're drunk. And so verse 14, Peter standing up with the 11. Don't you love it that Peter's back to being his old self again? Somebody say, thank God for second chances. Third chances, fourth chances, all of that. Peter standing up with the 11 raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass, he's quoting Joel now, in the last days, says God, that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And on my men servant and on my maid servant, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy. And I'll show wonders in the heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood, fire, and vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whosoever calls on the, or whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The men of Israel hear, the men of Israel hear these words, Peter goes on. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs what God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. And he goes on and he said, you took him by lawless hands, crucified him, put him to death, who God raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Wow. Peter's just going, he's preaching, right? He's just, he's just going. The focus here was not of the time, but the focus was about the realm of the supernatural. And so when you begin to focus on time, and there's a reason I'm going here with this particular thought, and hopefully it'll become clear in a few minutes. The focus of time into the realm of the supernatural is an attempt of the natural mind to understand or add context to the spiritual. The Jewish people then and as a whole, even now, they, they were hoping, the disciples were hoping, the disciples were under the opinion that since Jesus was crucified, died, rose again, they knew this miracle, this, that the pieces began to click together of all the things he had talked about. They said, is it now that you're going to come and set up your kingdom? Are we now going to be basically, are we going to become the authority and the rulers in the earth? And Jesus told them, he said, listen, you're focusing on a time when you're missing. He said, you need to go to Jerusalem and tarry and wait there until you are in dune with power. The time there was waiting, but the focus wasn't on the clock or just uh, putting in your time until, you know, the clock said it's midnight and so now we can move on. No, the time was wait until that which intersects with humanity in a brand new way from heaven takes place and you'll know when it happens. The proper context for the supernatural is always relational. Yeah, we do look for many prophetic things and we do look for the second return of Christ. We do look for the fulfillment of all things. But the admonition of scripture is we're not just hiding out someplace looking. We're about the Father's 
business. We're about spreading and taking the, the kingdom. So in Acts 2, 17, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God. There's the time part. It transitions from, from time to seasons. It shall come to pass in the last days, says the Lord, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And so it moves from this, there's coming a season, there's coming a transition of time whenever the people didn't have this pouring out of the spirit the way you did. And it goes from seasons to, per, to people, to a personal relationship. And it'll come to pass in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And Acts 1 through 4 through 8, let's turn there for a moment. Acts 1, then being summoned together, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. This is the original instruction, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. John baptized with water. You'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now, there's time again. Therefore, when, he had, when they had come together, they asked him saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They were still focused on time and seasons rather than on relationships. And that is a critical part. And I'll get there in just a moment. If you're focusing on times and seasons and not relationship, you, you diminish really all that the Father's looking to present and bring into your life. And so Jesus said, it is not for you to know, verse 7, times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Verse 6, they were focused at this time. That was the disciples. Verse 8, Jesus turned it around from rather a time and event, but he said, you shall receive. The New Testament church is about receiving things from heaven, not about waiting. It's not about hanging out. It's not about just punching my church card, showing up for how many services or, or doing my duty. No, this whole thing about Holy Spirit coming was that we would go into a time, we would go into a, a part of what the kingdom is now to where we are walking, we're being led by the Spirit of God. We're actually in the epistles of Paul and, and some of the other apostles at that time. They were continually referring to about walking in the Spirit, not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. They were talking about how to be sanctified and separated and set apart and filled with power. As a matter of fact, later on in Acts, the disciples asked for the prayer intercessors of the church. They said, please pray for us that we will have boldness to preach the gospel wherever we go. It wasn't that we're just going to hang out until Jesus comes again. No, we are going to be a part of the greatest thing that heaven has ever done in intersecting and bringing the kingdom, those things which are in the kingdom and bringing them into the earth. That's what Jesus taught his disciples to pray. But you'll receive power. Okay. So everybody's asking today, well, what time is it anyway? Where are we at? When's the Lord coming again? When Acts 2.16, Peter begins to platform his introduction into this message. And he said, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. The activity of the Holy Spirit in you as a person is what I want to talk about for the next few minutes. In Acts 2.17, where Peter was going, we find an old prophet's prophecy was fulfilled. He begins to quote Joel. Joel was a prophet in Israel that spoke to the nation that there was coming, there was coming a time, there was coming a day when your sons and daughters, when, when not only the nation, but the world was going to be impacted. It was going to bridge generations young and old. It was going to bring genders. Male and female, it was going to have signs that would show up in the natural realm where even those that don't know about the Lord will see things and know something is going on that is supernatural and not natural. Joel was at least seven to 800 years prior to Jesus. And he's prophesying about Acts 2 to where his prophecy, 800, what is that? Two and a half times the age of America? That prophecy had been there. All the rabbis knew about it. 
They, they knew something was being said for their future. They didn't know what. And now all of a sudden the time had come. But when seasons come, seasons also go. Things change, but God never does. His heart's always the same. Now things get personal. And I want to take through a couple, a couple points from verse 17 as this, as this Holy Spirit began to be poured out upon them. And the reason that I was wanting to deal with time in the introductory fashion is this. Because of the two main thoughts, the two main camps of what the Holy Spirit activity in the church is today, there is one group that says the Holy Spirit is still totally activated, active, and activating God's people, miracles, signs, wonders, all the things, fruits of the Spirit, gifts of the Spirit, they're all still active and going on. But there's another group that says, no, that all stopped. As a matter of fact, they said that stopped in the moment the last apostle died. And I'm not going to go in a, a theoretical debate today or into a scriptural thesis of trying to prove what I think is, is that's a very weak argument that it stopped. But what I do want to bring today is that the personal impact of empowering from heaven upon you as a believer is still valid and active today. Matter of fact, you need it. You have to have it. Jesus' condition wasn't saying, hey, when you go, you guys get it. And no, he, he said, it's going, it's, it's, you guys get it, but then it's going to, it's going to come on everybody who says yes to me. It's for everyone. Verse 217 of Acts, and it'll come to pass in the last days that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Wait a second. Does that mean, does that mean every single living person in, in the world? No, what, are, what he's saying is that there's going to come a time when those who want to be there, those who are being drawn, those who are saying, yes, you're going to be able to receive a touch and a personal, not just an invitational, but a personal encounter with the Spirit of God. That was completely different from what the Old Testament setup was, where it was just a prophet or a priest or maybe a king at times. And, and, and they operated as the intermediary between. Jesus came not to do away with the law, but to fulfill the law. He came in the order of Melchizedek, the Bible talks about in Hebrews, and he became a priest for everybody, making a way so that now we all become an, a, a nation of kings and priests. We all become a people that have direct access to God. You don't have to go through an intermediary anymore. Jesus is the intermediary. He's the one that makes the way. You don't go to God through another man or through a priest or through somebody with a, with a title or a position in the church. We're all there, those with positions in the church, they're there to equip you so that you can do the work that God has called you to do. Amen. Thank you. But it's going to show up and function individually in your sons and daughters. Now, I guarantee you that the teachers of the old covenant struggled desperately with that. And I know they did. And just what little bit of study I've been able to do in it is they didn't, they were not envisioning a release of, of God's presence upon everybody that would say, yeah, they were still looking at, it had to come through a particular order. They had to come through a tribe known as Levi. It had to be come through the high priest and all of that. Jesus came and he said, now everybody who wants it and desires is going to be able to come into contact with that. And so the offer is so good, it's almost beyond comprehension. Who, whenever you really begin to look, who is not going to want to receive an empowerment from heaven upon their lives to live in victory and to be a part of, of the spreading of the kingdom of God. And so in Acts 2, 3, it tells us that tongues of fire came. And, it, and the amazing thing, there was 120 in the room, but they weren't all the disciples. They weren't all the apostles. There were all kinds of them. Jesus' mother was there. His brothers and sisters were there. There were all kinds of people there 
But in 2.3, it says that the tongues came as of fire and sat on each of them. There was no distinction. There wasn't that, oh yeah, the original 12, they got twice as many tongues. No, everybody got a cloven tongue and it sat on each of them. Sometimes I think that's, that's lost in, this, in, in our proclivity for religious order that we like it when there are those that are somehow have a direct contact that we know that maybe we don't have. No, no, that was all taken away. No, everybody has the same access to God as everybody else. It removes this hierarchical priesthood in that sense. And it brings every, at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. It doesn't matter who your mom or dad was. It doesn't matter what your lineage is. It doesn't matter how much you have or how much you don't have. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter what sex you are. It doesn't matter what nation you came from. Where's your hometown? It, none of that matters. It's all level ground at the cross. Everybody who will can come. That's what the Holy Spirit coming was all about. That's why it sat upon each one of them. So I want to talk a little bit about what's the Holy Spirit's activity from that day to our day. What's the Holy Spirit's activity in the individual believer? And I wanted to deal with time a little bit so, so there's no confusion. I don't believe that the Holy Spirit's activity diminished in a particular time after Pentecost, such as when the last disciple died. I believe it's still there in its fullness today as it was then. In 1 Corinthians 4, I want you to turn over there, and we're going to begin to look a little bit. This is just a, a quick little study about what's the Holy Spirit's activity today in the individual believer. So this isn't about what's going on in the, in the pastor or the prophets or the evangelists or, or the apostles and all of that or the team. This is what's going on in everybody. This is where the Spirit of God's activity and through the anointing and presence of the Holy Spirit, this is what it's to be. This is what's normal, I guess, is what I'm looking for. So in 1 Corinthians 4, it says, let, no, let a man, 1 Corinthians 4, there we go. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Then he goes on, for he who speaks in tongues does not speak to men. Here's this whole thing, tongue, come back, come, come back up. Now it's Paul talking to another church about it. So you know, in over 50 years of ministry, there's always a few things that people get hung up on. Giving is one of them, stewardship. And another one is tongues. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with, from whether it be preachers or, or, or people that are just desiring more or people that are, that are struggling. It, it, tongues, tongues always come up. There's, there's always these, these ways to try and place it in a perspective so, so you can understand it. And it's not that it's difficult to understand, but it does take a little bit of what, and just letting the Bible speak for what the Bible says. So here, Paul is telling them, this church that had a lot of problems. They were not a perfect church. They would have been in Revelation probably a more like a Laodicean church. They had some issues going on. Paul was there correcting and, and all that. But right here in the middle of his first letter to them, he says, I want you to pursue love. We'll go into that background, but they needed that admonition. There was quite a bit of contention going on. And then all of a sudden he says, and desire spiritual gifts. Wait a second, I thought it was Corinthians where Paul set the church in order because they were so far out of order and they were doing things. And it, That's true. But you need, to find the introduction, you need to find the context. He said, I want you to desire spiritual gifts and especially that you may prophesy. Then he goes on and he kind of lays out the difference between tongues and, and prophesy and prophesy. I'm not going to deal with that in this, this message today. Later on, we will. But he does begin to give some parameters. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. How many pray? We all pray. How many prayed before you knew Jesus as your Savior? 
Oh, what? You never run a foxhole? Maybe not a literal foxhole, but we all have had those situations. I remember praying as a little boy when I thought the jig was up. I didn't know Jesus, didn't know, but something inside knew there was a, there was, there was a God to call to, and maybe if I didn't just write, he would listen. We all pray. Atheists pray. They just won't admit that it's a God they're praying to. But they're praying to a God, the God that they made. That God doesn't answer, but they still pray, in my opinion. Desire spiritual gifts. Wanting to have more of the things of God is encouraged in the New Testament over and over again. This is just one. Wanting to go in what we call in our circles deeper or higher, whatever, whatever way you want to, an analogy you want to put to that. Wanting more uh, of, of God's activity, more of God's presence, more of God's uh, uh, touch upon your life. That's encouraged, not discouraged. And it's not just encouraged from, from those who stand in a pulpit or hold a position. It's encouraged from Scripture for everybody. For everybody. That's what Paul's doing. He said, he said, desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And then, then he, because he knows that, that he doesn't, he's not dealing with it here, but he knows tongues is already operational within that church. I believe, and I know on my personal life and testament, tongues is still operational in the church today. It's not something that has waned or gone away. It's something that's still there. It's something that is the Holy Spirit is still bringing in. And, and operational within the church. Let's continue to read a little bit. He speaks in tongues that doesn't speak to man, but to God, for no one can understand him. What is a tongue? It's a heavenly language that the Lord brought upon you. In Acts there, in chapter two, it said that all these people that were gathered around, there were people from all over the world. That place was a very international, cosmo cosmopolitan place. There were people from all over the world, not just the region. And they heard, they heard what was coming from the upper room and people from different nations understood languages from these people they knew had no capacity or had not gone to any type of class or school to learn the language, yet they heard them preaching this strange message of good news and a gospel of the Messiah that came, lived, died, and rose again, and now he wants to save you. They all heard this, and they were, they were confused by it, actually, at that moment, until Peter began to give, to give context to it. Now, some will say, well, the gift of tongues today is still where you speak in another language that you did not learn that others will understand and they will hear the gospel because of it. Yeah, tongues still operate that way. But that's not the only operation of tongues or heavenly language. And so what Paul is speaking about here is not the same operational gift of tongues that was happening that we just read in Acts 2. And those that try to make it such just haven't dug, I guess, or looked or whatever or understood what Paul's talking about here. What Paul's talking about is that heavenly language where it's not between you and some other human, even though you might not understand what's being said, but they will, but rather this language that you're speaking is between you and God and you and God alone. That's the tongue that I think is primarily important in the activity of the individual believer's life today. Yeah, you might be in a mission field someday and need the gifts of tongues, but at least with this room, chances are most of you are not going to be in that situation, but every one of you is in a situation where you need to pray and have direct audience with God. And sometimes when you don't know how to pray, have you ever been there? <laughs> the circumstances are so overwhelming to you, you don't even know what's the right way to petition God about it. Holy Spirit does. That's kind of what Paul's talking about now. Praying as an individual where God it's between, it's not speaking to man, but to God, for no one understands him. Now, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to break down all the, all the classification of tongues here. We will do that. We'll probably do that on, through a couple of Wednesday nights.
doctrinal class, that kind of thing. But just from where Paul's going here, he's opening up, he's opening up the avenue for what tongues operationally is in the church. The main one I'm focusing on today is this one of the individual believer in God. Because, and then, but he's telling him, pursue love, desire spiritual gifts. And he's, he says, as you're going down the list of gifts, and we'll get into that, the gifts of the spirit. He said, desire that you may prophesy. This, this really is the window into the heart of Paul. Paul's an apostle. Paul's a shepherd. If you want to look at that, Paul's a teacher. He's all these gifts. Paul's main concern is that this fledgling newborn church that has survived the Roman Empire and the persecution that's upon them, that it survives all the false teaching that's not only them, but still continues today and in all kinds of ways. Paul's, Paul's trying to lay some foundational things. And so he's talking here when it comes to spiritual gifts, you need to have a desire for them. Don't just thank God, this is all I've got and this is all I want where God is for somebody else. There's more for you. That's, if you don't get anything out of this message, that's what I want you to get. There's more for you. Desire these things. Look into these things. Pursue these things within your life. And he's talking about prophecy because prophecy speaks to the church and it speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to man. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. And then he throws this right in the middle that many try to just wish it wasn't there. But Paul's wish was different. Paul said, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more than that, you all prophesy. Well, that means that Paul was saying that not everybody's going to speak in tongues. True. It doesn't mean that you can. This is the way I look at it. I get to speak in tongues. It's something that doesn't come from me. It comes from him. Something that doesn't involve you or my beautiful wife or my kids, or my grandkids. It involves him. There are things about me that I don't know about me, but he does. There are things that I think I should pray for that he knows, you know, you'd be better if you just stopped asking for that. How many raise kids and you realize, yeah, back, you know, son, you just need to stop asking about that. I was saving the Jesus people movement. 1971. Didn't know Jesus people was going on, but I was saved in that time. Not too long ago, I gave up going to Starbucks. Oh, I didn't say I gave up on coffee. I just go to Black Rock or... Isn't there one called Black Rifle Coffee? Did they have one here? That's the one I really need to go to. I just always loved the atmosphere of Starbucks. And you know something funny about Starbucks? And Google won't even deal with it. But one of, the, one of the things that was peculiar with the Jesus people movement, the early days, was coffeehouse ministry. Maybe some of you are close to my age. You remember the coffee, coffeehouse ministry was birthed out of, the, out of the Jesus people movement. And all the hippies would go and they, they were communal doing whatever. But man, the coffeehouse where you went hung out. Good things happened there and some not good things happened there. But it was a coffeehouse ministry. Starbucks started, I think, 71 or two or something like that in Seattle. Now, Starbucks will pretend or like to portray their history that they, their original founder was, had this genius move that he would start coffee houses. I think the coffee house Starbucks, the corporate side, was really burst out of the idea of what he was seeing happen in the Jesus people movement, where thousands of young people were going and hanging out and no better place to go than a coffee house. By the way, at that time, you could get a cup of coffee at a diner or whatever, not even then at Starbucks, but the price of coffee was about 25 cents a cup. Oh, by the way, price of gasoline was about 25 cents a gallon. It's an amazing correlation through the years between coffee and gasoline. 
Because coffee now is between four and five bucks a, a cup at Starbucks. You know what the price of gasoline is? Between four and five dollars a gallon. Gasoline is a far better deal than coffee, by the way. It's just it'll kill you if you try to drink it, where caffeine will kill you slowly. It's just gasoline will kill you. Anyway, that's a, whole, that's a whole different thing. But during that time, there was this incredible outpouring of the Holy Spirit where young people were getting filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and it was happening outside of the organized church. And man, it freaked people out. Religious, the religious structure. I think it was one of the most powerful parts of the, of the Jesus people movement. People not even knowing what it was, receiving this spontaneous gift from heaven that began to change their lives. I was in a little church in Spokane, Washington, and it was in the, in the flames of revival, and there were more young people in the church than, than folks like myself at that time, at this time in my age. And, uh, and I remember they would, the pastor would have evangelists and special speakers. And I mean, back in that day, if you had a special speaker in and, and one of the services and one of the message wasn't about getting baptized in the Holy Spirit, it wasn't a good meeting. You just, you know, they, they missed the main part of what the whole meeting was. And, and I've been saved a few months. The other young people in the church were, were, I mean, they were just, they were praying in tongues all the time. They, they seemed to have something, my opinion, this is from me at that time. They had something that I didn't have. I didn't know that it was part of that thing. But every Sunday night, I would get done playing music and I would drive as fast as I could from the dance hall in the bar that my mom and dad had me working in. And I would drive as fast as I could, breaking every law, but somehow it was sanctified. I'd, ha, ha, ha. And I'd come in the church, usually a little late, and one side of the whole church was down front and it was literally packed with young people, laying, standing, leaning in various positions. And most of them were crying and bawling and tissues and and all that stuff. And it was just, it was just, if you were from the outside looking in and you had never seen it, you just think, what a mess that is. And I couldn't wait to get right in the middle of that mess. But every evangelist person, they'd preach a message somewhere about getting baptized in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. I remember going to the pastor because I would answer the oracle over and over again. It never happened to me. So if that's you, there's hope. You're probably thinking the same thing I was thinking. Well, maybe it's not just, it's just not for me. Maybe I'm not as quite as spiritual. Maybe all those things that go on, that's just common with flesh. And, and each one, I go to the pastor afterwards and I say, I, do you need to tell me, teach me how to get filled with the Holy Spirit? And the first few times he'd pray for me and nothing would happen, which now I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Finally, I went to him. It was a Sunday night and he became frustrated with me. I said, I haven't received my, I haven't been baptized with the Holy Spirit yet. What am I supposed to, any, any, not a gruff way, but he laid his hand on my shoulder. He said, Gary, you go down to that altar, you get on your knees and you start asking God and don't you get up until you get it. I'm like, okay. I did what he said. I came in a point of absolute, God, I'm here until you and do. And it wasn't too much longer. The spirit of God came upon me. I won't say it was as revolutionary as the moment when I got saved, but it was revolutionary in my life. That's why I wanted to talk to you about it today. Some of you need it. Some of you, some of you need to have it reactivated. Some of you just need another fresh dose. Take, Paul said, I, I wish that y'all spoke in tongues. He goes on later and he says, I speak in tongues more than you all. But yet he wants to prophesy. And so in verse four here, he's talking and he said, he was, where's, oh, there we go, Antiphys. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. You know what? How about before we start edifying the church, we get each one of us edified? 
That's a good, that's just my own thing. I'm throwing it in there. He who speaks with tongue edifies himself. Edifies, to be a house builder. What's edify mean? It means to build you. It's the same root word that we're getting architecture and structure. It's himself, personal. Here, the emphasis is not on the church body, but on the church individual and you as the believer, where you receive something in your life that begins to build you up in your most holy faith. You want to grow in God? You need the Holy Spirit active in your life. I believe everybody gets the Holy Spirit when they're saved. I do believe that. But I believe the baptism, if you will, of the Holy Spirit is a second, is a second encounter. I know there, there are those that don't believe that, and, and that's just one of those points where, you know, I would disagree, but I'm not saying, oh, man, I'm right, I know it all, because that's not the point. But I do believe this, that every one of us needs to be edified at a greater level probably than you have been at your point in your life now. I can say without reservation, I need more edification in my life now. <laughs> I, need more, I know this, that tomorrow when the crew shows up and all the things start happening, I'm going to need more edification tomorrow than what I have right now at this moment. So you know what I'm going to be doing out there when nobody's looking and nobody's there? I'm going to be holding on to That's what I'm going to be doing out there on the building project. And it's not praying for them that they don't know how to do it. It's praying for little old Pastor Gary that, I, that, that my structure is not going to start coming unraveled. I'm going to see and know and watch what the hand of the Lord is doing in this place and in myself. Himself, personal, not, not, not the church body. What does personal Holy Spirit activity look like? We're going to wrap up with this. Go over to Jude chapter 20, or there's only one chapter in Jude, verses 20 and 21. This is what Jude said. But what does personal Holy Spirit activity look like in the church today? Jude says, but you, beloved, who's he talking to? Christians, right? Building yourselves up in your most holy faith. How do you do that? Well, there's a lot of ways. Read the Bible. It'll build you up in your most holy faith. Fellowship with other Christians, that'll build you up. You're to edify one another. Go to church. Don't forsake the assembly yourselves together. All that kind of thing. But here, he specifically identifies one. He says, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. If you want to do your word study and break that down, I believe you're going to find it's in the realm of the operation of the gifts of tongues in your life. Like I said, I believe everybody receives the Holy Spirit whenever you come to Christ because you can't come without the Holy Spirit drawing you. That's what the book teaches. But once you come, there's more. You know, there's more than just getting the initial baptism and speaking in tongues. There's more. There's more than just tongues. I see Shirley. She's, she's kind of waving at me. I'm seeing that hand. So Shirley, this is totally impromptu. Uh, so come on up. What do, you, what do you want to say? Well, I need that's my... when I... Uh... He'll get you. I come to church and I and I think about my problem. When you know I'm supposed to be worshiped to the Lord, and then I think at all the problems I'm I'm having, you know, with my, you know, with certain things and about my apartment or whatever, and other things probably about my son. This is one thing. When you get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and you speak in tongues, all that goes away. The Holy Spirit just takes over and it does it. And that confusion, that, that thinking that you got in your mind, the Holy Spirit, when you talk in tongues, takes over. And you won't, you won't be thinking about that, that evil stuff, all that difficulty. When you get to pray in tongues, your prayer language, that's your prayer language, 
the Holy Spirit takes over your whole being and even your thinking. <laughs> Amen. And uh, that's why I love the Holy Spirit so much. Amen. Wonderful testimony. Thank you, Sherwin. There would be sure we could have many, many, many more testimonies about the wonderful influence and presence and power of the Holy Spirit. If you've never spoken in tongues and you want to, Jesus is the baptizer. I'm not. We're not. Oh, there are people that have an anointing, I guess, or gifting and praying people through. We have some of those here today, but I haven't organized them or asked them to ready themselves. But if you're here this morning and you have a sense from heaven, I need that in my life. I'm ready for more of that. This is just a 60,000 foot little study that I did this morning about it. But I felt God prompted me to do it. I have a couple pastors that I speak to most, most often every week. And, you know, part of the conversations are, hey, man, what are you going with? And all this. I told a couple of them, I'm going with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it was quiet. Afterwards, I thought, Lord, I don't want to be one of those ones that's quiet whenever this topic comes up. Listen, if you don't speak in tongues, there's no, there's no, you're just spiritual as anybody else. Matter of fact, I sometimes think those that do speak in tongues probably have more need than other people. That's why they need it so desperately. But if you desire that gift in your life, or if it's been a while, I've talked to a lot of people. Yeah, I spoke in tongues whenever it initially happened. I haven't spoken since. Well, jump back in. I'm going to ask us to stand. I'm not going to single you out. We're on a journey here. We're not on a just individual mission. I believe we're, we're entering into a day when you're going to need building yourself up in your most holy faith more than you ever have. That's what I believe the day is that, are fa that is facing us. If there was ever a day where there needs to be more Holy Spirit activity in the church, not less, it's the day that we live in. So, Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that the few little things that we read from the from the Bible today, emphasizing what Holy Spirit's activity was in that in the infant church, Lord, I still believe it's here for us today and the church much further down the line time-wise. Lord, I don't believe that the times have changed you. As a matter of fact, I believe you're still the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same things that you were doing in the early church to keep them going is the same thing that you will do in us to keep us going. Those gifts that were made available, I believe, are still there. So, Holy Spirit, you do what you do in placing that hunger, that desire. I'm just one who brings, who brings a teaching and a word. You're the one who breathes on the word, and the word does what it's supposed to do. Thank you, Jesus. This is what I'm going to ask you to pray every day if you desire, whether it be the gift in tongues or that second portion, that other presence of Holy Spirit to come in a greater way. I want you to begin to make it a matter of prayer in your life. Lord, I want more. I need more. Surely it was a great testimony. You're overwhelmed with circumstances in your life. The Holy Spirit is there to bring edification in your life. He knows how to pray for your problems better than you know how to pray for your problems. So that's what one of it's for. So, Lord, have your way within this place, within this people. <laughs> have your way within our individual lives. Lord, I need more of heaven in me today than I did a year ago. I need more of your presence today in my life in a manifest way than I ever have. And I know you're a God who gives good gifts to your children. How much more will they give the Holy Spirit, Jesus said. Jesus said.
How much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those that ask him? How much more the good gift he said in that verse, how much more will he give the Holy Spirit? Come, Holy Spirit, speak and move and minister. Now, I'm going to dismiss the service. If you want to take that next step in, my wife, I'm going to have her down here. She's led many, many hundreds of people into the, into the, into the baptism in that. I think Shirley has as well. There are probably some others here that have. If you have that, you have led people into that gift, I want you to come down and just make yourself available. I don't know if anybody's going to come or not, but at least make yourself available. If there's anybody in here that says, I want, I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to get it. I don't even really know what it fully is, but from what little today, I want that and I need that in my life. When I dismiss, the elders are open. I want you to come and have one or all of them pray for you. And if nobody comes, it's all good. There's no pressure. There's no condemnation here. Yes, see, what do you got? This is spontaneous. I'm, I'm, I don't know any what's going on here. What do you got? Well, when we're talking about praying in tongues and, and, and speaking to the Lord, you know, sometimes uh, new Christians or new believers won't understand and might not think that God won't understand. God understands a cat's meow, a baby before it speaks, uh -huh, yeah. a dog, a bird. So when you speak in your prayer language or tongues, he understands and Amen. he will discern it for you. Yeah. And I just thought that that's something that has always been amazing to me that he understands even before we speak it. Great admonition, great encouragement. Bless you, Steve. God bless, Lord, bless them as they go today. I pray that they would be the head and not the tail. They would be above and not beneath. That Lord, they'd be the lender, not the borrower. Lord, I pray today that we would live this week in absolute victory as the power and touch of heaven comes on and moves in our lives. God bless you. You're dismissed. The owners are open. If you want prayer for anything else, come on down. We'll pray.